from the epistle of St. James, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Good morning, friends. Glad to see you here today as we continue to plow through our sermon series on James, which is essentially a very profound and pastoral epistle that answers the question, okay, once you've been once you've been saved, born again, come to faith, whatever you want to call it. It's a pretty big question, actually. But once you have called yourself a Christian and called Jesus your Lord and Savior, now what do you do? How then shall we live? That's the question James is addressing. And so he's not talking about how you're saved, but when you are saved, when you come to faith in Jesus, are you the real thing or not? Is your faith living or dead? James said last week, I talked about this, that faith without works is dead, right? So the faith, and the question is, is your faith the real thing? Because see, faith, as I mentioned last week, faith is not an intellectual assent to a truth claim. I believe God exists. God doesn't care if you believe he exists. Jesus says last week, even the demons believe and they shudder, so no. What Jesus, what the biblical, what biblical faith wants is for you to trust God and see him work in, on, and through you to change you from the inside out. A faith grounded in trust in God that changes people. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the sin of partiality, which is a fancy way of saying you treat some people better than others. James talked about wealthy. Do you, when a rich man walks in, do you treat him better than a poor man? And of course, the answer is yes, we do. We shouldn't, but we do it. And if you're one of those types of people that said, ah, no, I never, I'm never impartial. I'm completely objective. I treat all people with respect. Well, first of all, I don't believe you. But even if you claim that, fine. Today, you're going to crash and burn. Because <laughs> today, we're going to talk about the tongue, how we speak. You will squirm today, and so will I, and that's the point. James is calling, it's like, it's like having a personal trainer, right? To go from here to here, growth always requires suffering, right? In all things. And so when you grow as a Christian, it requires you to con uh, confront the things that you struggle against and work through them. So here's the, here's the question for today. How, what we're going to look at, how do we speak to one another? There's an old saying you know it, because you probably said it to your kids. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That is a complete, bold-faced lie. And, and in fact, the only time you say that, that I've ever said it, is when one of my children, when they were younger, got teased on the schoolyard or something. And when do you say that, honey, don't worry, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will, words will never hurt, names will never hurt me. Well, you're telling that child that in the context of them being hurt. It's a lie. Don't tell your kids that. Because words have hurt them. Words have hurt you. And, and we all know, you can break a bone, you can break a nose, you can break a finger, you know, that'll heal. But you and I both know, every person, the person sitting in your chair knows right now, things that were said to you 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago, you remember. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Come on. Words have power. We're going to talk about that today. Words matter. And so today, in week three of our five-part series, we're going to talk about the power of words. And James says, look, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then act like it. Two points today, and how this metaphor that James talks about 
taming the tongue, controlling the words that we use. Because words, here's the point, have power over the speaker and over the hearer. Words affect the person that we speak to, and they also tell us a lot about what's inside of us. So two points. It's going to squirm, it's going to hurt, but it's going to help you grow. Two things. How our words affect others. How our words affect our relationship to other people. That's the first point. And then secondly, and this one's going to sting, how our words show our relationship to ourselves. So first point, this is the more obvious one. How do our words, the things we say, affect the people around us? You know, Here's the thing I mentioned this morning in our Bible study. As, as a modern post-enlightenment 21st century peeps, we think of language and words as the way to convey information, right? We read a text or we send an email or we, we uh, read a newspaper or whatever, and we think of words as communicating information, which they do, but there's more to it than that. And we know this, and it's biblical, that words, in fact, have, have power. The Greek word is dunamis, dynamite, boom. Words have power. In fact, I'll give you two quick examples. Here's one, right? Lazarus, right? Dead as a doornail, dead and smelly. Three days he'd been in the tomb. Jesus raises Lazarus with a word, right? Lazarus, come out, a command. That's interesting. In Luke chapter 4, verse 41, the demons say to Jesus, they come out, they come rushing at him at the Sea of uh, Gennesaret, the Gerasene demoniac. They say to Jesus, we know who you are, which is an assertion of power over someone, biblically. And Jesus rebukes them, come out with a word. My point is, and I'll move on, that words are not just information. Words have power. And words have power to either build up or to destroy. And we all know, once you set them, you can never get them back, can you? James says this thing, uh, this, is, this is cool. It's strong, but I want, to see, want you to see this. James says the tongue is a restless evil. We'll get to that in a second. A restless evil full, full of deadly poison. That Greek word for restless, I've got to read it because it's a long one, is akastatos. It means, what does restless mean? It's almost a, descri a describing like an ocean, right? It's a storm. It means restless evil. It means it's, it's unsettled. It's uncontrolled. It's, uh, your, your tongue is it's like, a, it's like a pistol on the countertop that's locked and loaded and the safety's off, right? That's the image here. That the tongue, according to James, a, a restless evil. It's ready to strike, man. You know, you and I are probably pretty controlled in our speech, usually, right? Unless something happens. You're tired, you're not feeling well, some jerk pulls out in front of you in Publix on the parking lot on Miracle Mile at Friday at 1.30, for example. Just saying. Uh, given the right set of circumstances, you know, your tongue, you'll, you're going to fly off the handle and so do I. The tongue, your speech, is like a pistol, locked and loaded, ready to go off. The safety is clicked off. All it takes is to pull the trigger. That's the image here. The tongue is a restless evil, James says. And, and just think about this. You know he's right. Have you ever been tired or frustrated or, or scared or offended or, you know, you had a long day at the office and your boss was a jerk or something? I don't know. 
It doesn't take much, man. Boom, here it comes. Far away. We say things, we speak things, we write things in an email or a text without remorse. You know why? Because James is right, man. The tongue is, in fact, a restless evil. And he says later on, James says, and this is important, I'm going to get to it in a second. Your tongue and mine, he's talking to Christians here, he's not talking to non-believers, is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He says that no one can control, not even you, not me for sure. See, here's the thing what James is trying to remind us, is that you and I are called to look at ourselves in the mirror, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with ourselves. You will say things, friends, that you don't mean, or that you do mean and you later regret. Here's the thing. Own it. Have the guts to ask for forgiveness. Have the courage and the humility and the Christian faith and trust in God to ask for forgiveness. Be quick to say the three most powerful words in the Christian vocabulary. I am sorry. Friends, words have power. You know, one of the most important tips my dad gave me uh, before he died, a long time ago, but he's he gave me, it was about raising kids. And he said, look, he said, he said, Chris, you know, raising kids is hard. I'm like, yeah, Dad, I'm your kid, I know. So he said, you will say things that you later regret. You think? Yeah, Pop. He said, but he said, listen, he goes, be ready and willing to ask your children to forgive you, which my dad did. He modeled that to me. And a lot of parents don't think of that, right? Apologize to my children? Well, yeah. Have some humility. Have some courage. Be a man. Be a woman of God. Apologize when you cause offense to someone. And when they offend you, ask them for an apology from them. Matthew 18, if a brother offends you, go and tell them their fault. That's not an option. Have the humility to be honest with yourself that when you blow it, you ask someone to forgive you. Your kids will learn that from you. Your friends will learn that from you. Your spouse will learn that from you. You've got the courage to admit that you made a mistake. Point one, when you blow it, be quick to ask for forgiveness and be quick to forgive. Because our words, point one, affect other people around us. And they affect us, too. People have hurt, wronged us. Be quick to forgive and quick to ask for forgiveness. Then point number two, this I think is a little more profound and maybe you'll sing a little more. But our words actually tell us, our words actually tell us a lot about, about ourselves. A lot more than maybe we want to believe. You know, a word, words do affect others around us. You know, we get texts or emails or Facebook posts or TikTok, which I don't even have, or Twitter, which I also don't have. But the, but the words that we use actually tells us a lot about ourselves. The Bible uses a word that we hear a lot in Scripture, and it's the word heart. Cardia in Greek, cardiologist, cardiac thoracic surgeon, whatever. Cardia is the Greek word. And it, and it does mean your heart, you know, your thing that pumps the blood through your veins. It does mean that, but... But it doesn't mean what you think it means. Jesus says, for example, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. When you say, let me ask you this. If you say, man, that guy's got a big heart, what does that mean? It means he's kind or she's got a big heart, right? We think of the heart as the seat of our emotions. And, and this is one of the big problems with biblical translations because we hear the word heart as emotion, feeling, love. Valentine's Day. That's not what the word cardia means. The word heart. Listen, and I'm going to get to why this is important. The word cardia, Greek word, 
is, is the Greek way of describing the sum total of what and who you are. You know, people think of us as being body, mind, and spirit, some sort of weird Trinitarian separate pieces of us. That's nonsense. You are a spirit and a soul. You are you. Your body, your soul, your mind, your spirit are one big great thing called you. And the word that describes you, your heart, your core, your guts, the Bible says is your heart. The real you, the deep down core of who you are. And the reason I'm telling you that is because Jesus or James uses a metaphor. It's a cool metaphor, and, and you hear it, you're like, yeah, he's right. The metaphor that compares your heart and my heart, my core, my guts, my being, to a spring of water. Now, if you just look at a spring of water, you can't tell if it's good or bad, right? Water, if you look at it, it's not until you actually taste it that you can tell. I have a, a good story. When I was in Iceland about, I don't know, five, six years ago, I went with a group of guys to Iceland for a week and a half trip around the, not the whole thing, but most of it. It was a man trip, and it was, it was awesome. We had a great time. But Iceland, if you don't know, is really just a great big volcano in the middle of the North Atlantic, right? There's no trees on it. Lots of horses that they eat. But that's another matter. Um, but Iceland has these springs. We went to this one, this one area, and it has this great big, long Icelandic word I can't pronounce. But um, there was a geyser. And a geyser, if you know, is water that's in the earth, and when it boils, it blows up, right? And it's cool looking. And when people are like, wow, right? But I got news for you. If you get hit by that geyser water, it will scald you. It's boiling water. And the weird thing was there was this fence, and it wasn't a very big fence. It was like a, a, a rope that went around the whole perimeter of this field. And in that rope were these little pools of water. And what you can't tell is that that water is boiling. Not quite. It's not bubbling, but just below boiling. It doesn't look like it. But put your finger in it. Wow, it'll scald you. Here's my point. James is telling us that our mouth, the words we say are like that spring, that geyser. Out of the words we say comes the core, salty or fresh. The point that, that James is making is that our, the words we say tell us a lot more about what's in our heart than we probably like to believe. The, what, the words that we say are like the geyser that shows the, the, the toxicity or the goodness of our hearts. A beautiful spring of water or a toxic, boiling, sulfur-filled, dangerous thing of, you know, pond. James compares our words to a spring, a spring which shows what is underneath the surface, what is in our hearts. He says, from the same mouth, yours and mine, right, come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. There's a spring does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and brackish water? James is the master of the rhetorical question. The point is, the words that you use tell a lot about what's really in your heart. You may not like that, but it's the truth. And here's the question. Do you bless or do you curse? Do you tear down or do you build up? Are you angry or, and frustrated? Well, why? Where's that coming from? Do you get offended easily? Do you thrash at people when they hurt your feelings? Why? What's going in there? Do you complain? Do you blame? Or are you thankful? Are you content? The words you say tell you a lot about what's going on inside of your heart. And I say this, friends, not to be condemning, because God knows 
I stand under the same judgment as you do. I'd say this to you not with a pointed finger, but rather as your pastor and, and showing you what James is saying, which is a, this is a diagnostic tool for you. Give you an example. Say, because this has happened to me, <laughs> say your husband forgets to compliment you on your new hairstyle, right? The guys always chuckle on this one because it happens. My wife, happened, it's happened to me. I'm guilty as charged. And uh, she, you, you get your hair, my, Kathy, I'll give you an example. Kathy gets her hair cut. I don't notice it, right? I have no clue about these things. Turn the, t- turn the football game off, and yes, I will notice. But hair, no. But here's the thing. In, my, in your mind, as a person who's got the haircut and nobody notices, you're hurt. Why? Well, it's not because your hair. It's because you, you you're hurt because what's inside of you has been attacked. I didn't know it. Guys don't know it. We don't pick these, but, but that's my point. The words that come out of you show what's really going on inside of you. I'll give you another example. I knew a guy in New Jersey uh, where I was rector of Trinity in Red Bank, New Jersey, and there's a guy on the street that bought this house. He was a trader up in New York on Wall Street. Bought a house for like eight million bucks, right? Which was a lot more money than my house cost, which was nothing because I was in a rectory. But, but he bought an eight million dollar house. He was really cocky. He was really proud of it until the guy down the street bought a ten million dollar house. And he was angry, and he was bitter, and he was frustrated. And I'm like, dude, why? What do you care? Well, I'll tell you why he, heard, why he was so angry. The words, the words he used were toxic. Where'd that come from? It came from his cardia. And where it came from was his value of himself was in his money. And when someone else had more, it crushed him. See my point? The things that come out of you, friends, are a good and awesome, helpful diagnostic tool for what's going really on inside of you. Here's a question. What makes you angry? What makes you frustrated? What really just, what's the trigger for you? Examine that. Because if you look deep down inside, there's a reason why. I want you to consider, friends, when you react in anger, when you say things you know you shouldn't, but you do it anyway, ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I reacting this way? What's going on in in me that's making this water come out? Because your words are a spring that shows us deep into our hearts and expose the brokenness of our core. Because here's the thing I want to wrap up. You're saying, oh man, well, here's the thing. Here's the solution. James says this, and I'm saying this to you as an encouragement, by the way. James says, no man can control the tongue. And that means women too. It doesn't just mean guys. No man, listen to this, listen closely, no man can control the tongue. God is not expecting you to be perfect. He's expecting you to come to the Lord, to be repentant, to, be, to grow in holiness, to grow in trusting him. Because James says no man can control the tongue. He's right, he's right, but you know, but, but Jesus can. Because you see, when you see other people as sinners just like you are, when you see that Jesus died for them just like he died for you, when you see that you are, in fact, and they are in the same boat, no man can control the tongue, it's a lot easier to be patient with them. It's a lot easier to be kind to them. It's a lot easier to accept their apology and to be willing to offer one. When you recognize that your anger, your frustration is a spring that shows the true core of your heart, You can take all that insecurity and you can lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, save me. 
Take to him your brokenness. Take to him your insecurity. Take to him the things that just drive you crazy and say, Lord, help me. And he will. You know, if, here's, I'm going to leave you with this. If you and I, and here's what James is all about, right? If you really believed that Jesus died for you on the cross, we all believe that, I'm sure, in this room. But the more and more you believe that in your core, in your guts, the more and more it becomes part of your cardia, who you are, you'll be the most secure man in the world, no matter what other people around you have. You'll be the more secure woman in the world, even if other people don't notice things about you. Because you know what? Your confidence isn't in you at all, but in the Lord that you trust. If you really believe, friends, that Jesus died for you, you wouldn't be jealous of your friends because your security would rest not in them, but in him. Not in your stuff or lack of it, but in the fact that you are a child of God for whom Christ died. So friends, words matter, but Jesus can fix anything. No man can tame the tongue, and you can't, and I can't either. But Jesus, he can. Shall we pray, Father, we thank you for your word, which challenges us, which conflicts us, which comforts us, and which shows us that the solution in all these things is your son. Put our, help us to put our trust, our faith, our confidence in him. Help him to flow through us. Lord, when we blow it, help us to apologize. When people offend us, help us to have the courage to go and tell them and ask, for, for, ask them to apologize to us. Lord, help us to control our tongue. No man can control his own tongue, but you, Lord, you can. And today we ask for your help as we grow in holiness and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.